My name is Jordan Kendig. I serve as one of your deacons. Please bow your heads and join me in prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and for bringing us together today in worship. We come to you today to celebrate your creation and in thanks for providing for us and protecting us. Thank you for your faithfulness, for giving us your perfect son and loving us in light of our inadequacies. Please calm our minds and fill our hearts as we relish in your word today. I pray for our church family. May we resist the temptation of self-reliance and acknowledge our dependence on you, Lord. I pray for those who are wandering in their faith, those facing doubt and uncertainty who feel estranged from you. Let them overcome shame and complacence and turn to you. I pray for the lonely who feel invisible in the crowd, those who are looking for connection. Let them find community with us. I pray for the families with us today, that parents can find rest and patience, and please pour your love into our children and bless those who are watching them today in the nursery and downstairs. Please offer strength to those couples who are desperately wanting to grow your kingdom and haven't gotten that good news yet. I pray for our church staff. May they speak your truth and find time to bask in your grace while serving today. Please be with those who are in pain. For those battling cancer, let them find courage and comfort through you. And for those they love, please give them the wisdom to know what to say when the words just aren't there. Help them offer love and support. I pray for our community, for Nashville and the underserved who are lost in our city's growth. Be with our church plants, our missions, our nonprofits, and let us share our gifts sacrificially through them. I pray for our country. Let our leaders seek truth and wisdom through you and diffuse mounting tension abroad. Lord, we are your people and we love you. Thank you for adopting us as your children and loving us unconditionally. Bless us with your word today. Fill us with your spirits that we may carry your love, wisdom, and courage in the, with us throughout the week and elevate others in your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friend. Thank you. It's been uh, three generations since the Lord has given the people of Israel a king. The first king that Israel had was Saul, and he was uh, disobedient to the Lord and a disappointment. Then the Lord raised up David, a man after God's own heart. And then after David came Solomon. David and Solomon were easily, the, um, they were the best kings Israel really ever had. And they ruled in what, what's known as the golden age of Israel. David, as I said, was a man after God's, God's own heart. Solomon was a leader who was, I, I believe, the wisest leader that's ever, uh, ever come on the stage in all history. And yet, where we are this morning, a particular passage of Scripture, is uh, it's now uh, getting more difficult in Israel. And basically, there are cracks in the monarchy. And as I tell you the story, and because I'm going to spend some time telling the story, that's why we're not having a scripture reader. It's quite a story, so we're going to walk it through. But as, as, you, see the unstory, as you see the story unfold, you'll really begin to see that there are just cracks in the kingdom that God has raised up. And there's a lot to learn. And yet at the same time, the Lord, the Lord, uh, the Lord is working behind the scenes, if you will. And you might think of it like this. Let me illustrate it. Illustrate really the whole point of the message. One of my goals for this year is to read the brothers. Uh, Kara, 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 
I, I want to say Karazimov, but I know that's not right. It's Karamazov. Sorry, y'all. I really practiced that. So one of my goals is to read that book. It is one of the books that we were supposed to read in high school and didn't. And so, um, yeah, I don't know if y'all were like that. But my son said that it's the best book he's ever written outside, uh, ever read outside the Bible. And I have uh, actually looked at it before, and it's rather intense. And everybody I've talked to has said it's really confusing. I was just talking with somebody after first service, and he said, yeah, I read, it, read two chapters and gave up because it's just so confusing. All the different circumstances and all the different characters. Well, I'll tell you what I did, you guys. I got a copy of the book. I also got the cliff notes. And since it's no longer cheating because I'm 60 years old to read the cliff notes, <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've read the, I'm reading the cliff notes now, and now I understand the plot line of the story. I understand at least the major characters, and I'm going to keep the cliff notes in front of me. And let me tell you why. The cliff notes basically offer the larger context. Because, again, the story's filled with so many circumstances, so many characters that apart from something that will really give me the, the, the larger story, if you will, it's also confusing. Now, I'll tell you that to say this. The story this morning has some very difficult circumstances, some confusing circumstances. But there is a larger context. And because of the larger context... No matter what your circumstances are, and this room is filled with people right now. Everybody in this room has a different circumstance. Some of you are in extremely difficult circumstances right now. Some are in joyful circumstances. But as we all know, life is up and down. And yet, what you're going to see this morning is no matter what your circumstances, if you understand the larger context in which you live your days, you can actually live with a confidence. You can live with a confidence. Now let me speak to those of you in the room who are not Christians. Or you're, 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 you're on a uh, religious journey and you're not sure where you are. Or if you're an atheist, let me speak to you too. All of us have to find a context to find meaning. You'll never find all you're looking for in just your immediate circumstances. We all have to look for something larger to help us interpret it, interpret what happens to us. And the Bible, and you'll see this morning, the Bible offers, I believe, an incredible context that I know my own life experiences have made the most sense of my circumstances. And that's why I want to commend this passage to you. I want you to listen to me carefully as we walk it through. Remember three words. And if you're a note taker or you want to become one this morning, let me say this. Don't try to write down everything I say. Just take note. Just take note of things. If something strikes you, write it down. And let me tell you why. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to give us a, probably one or two minutes of quiet time for us to reflect on Maybe something that God has spoken to us. Okay, so we'll, I'll give you just a few minutes to do that. So if something strikes you, jot a word down. And then later on, you can pray about it after we've finished this word. So I want you to remember three words as we walk through the passage. Circumstances, context, 
and confidence. You can live in your circumstances if you understand your context very confidently. That's what this passage teaches. Okay, let's go through it. So I'm going to just put uh, Scripture up on the, uh, the uh, screen so you can read it if you care to. I'm going to tell you the story to give you the circumstances. So look with me. Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. He's the legitimate heir to the throne. Solomon's passed away, so Rehoboam is now the king of Israel. Okay, He goes to a place called Shechem. Now Shechem is in the north. The point is it's not Jerusalem. He's leaving his stronghold because he's going to the north because he's slightly insecure. And so he's looking for support. And so he goes to Shechem because the northern tribes gather as that, in that place as really a, a, a focal point for at least 10 of the tribes of Israel. They gather there. And so Rehoboam heads to Shechem to garnish the northern, uh, the northern Israel's support of his throne. Jeroboam. Jeroboam is a man. He's from the northern tribes. He actually led a rebellion against Solomon. Solomon put it down. Jeroboam flees the country and goes to Egypt. After Solomon passes away, Jeroboam heard that and he came back from Egypt because he really is a leader among the people of the north. And he wanted to be there when Rehoboam came to Shechem to talk about his rule. Do you follow me? You with me? You need to understand this, so follow me. Okay, let's go to the next. So, the people in the north sent for Jeroboam because they recognized him as a leader, okay? And here's what he said, okay? So he went to Jeroboam and he said, as a representative, he said, your father Solomon put a heavy yoke on us. If you'll lighten the load and take that yoke off, we will serve you. So he offers Rehoboam the support of the people. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Okay, this is very political. So he offers Rehoboam their support. If basically Rehoboam will lay off. Okay, let's keep going. So Rehoboam responds. He says, go away for three days and let me think about it. And so Rehoboam, in that period, he goes to the elders, the men who surrounded his father Solomon. They're all older than him, of course. And he says, how would you advise me in this situation? And here's what happens. If today, they say, you'll be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they'll come and follow your leadership. So they basically say, be a level five leader. Jim Collins, good to great. Be a servant leader. You realize that you lead by serving the people that you lead. That's what they advise him. Seems like pretty good advice to me. And if you've run a business, I would say you probably recognize that too. So that's good advice. Let's see what Rehoboam does. He rejects it on the spot. He says, I'm not going to do that. Okay. And so he goes to the younger men, his peers that he's grown up with. Now, if you look closely here, notice he rejects the advice of the elders before he ever goes to the younger people, which tells you what? He had no intention of ever taking their advice. Does that make sense? Because he was looking for yes people. Okay, so from these circumstances we can learn. Guess what? You do not need yes people around you. You do not. 
in 2020, who knows how your circumstances are, are going to unfold. You're going to need help, but I want you to listen to me carefully. You do not need people around you who cannot confront you. You need people around you who can speak the truth in love. And that is true. And you can learn that from these circumstances. Okay, let's, see. let's keep going. What is your advice, he says to his peers? How should we, notice who he is identifying with already, how should we answer these people when they say lighten the load? Go ahead. Watch this. Let's go to the next slide. Good. So they say, the younger men say to him, hey, reply like this. These people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. This is what you need to tell them, Rehoboam. My little finger. My little finger is bigger around than my father's waist. Okay? That's what they say. My father laid a heavy yoke on you. I'm going to drop the hammer. That's what they advised Rehoboam to say to the people. Let's keep going. Three days later, Jeroboam, they all come back. The king said, come back. They're back. The king answers, answers them harshly. He rejects the advice of the elders. He follows the advice of the young men. And this is what he says. My father... Made your yoke heavy, I'm going to make it even heavier. You were scourged by him with whips, I'm going to use scorpions. Now, what do you think of that leadership? Not good. Extremely difficult circumstances. You guys, nobody in here knows exactly what your circumstances are going to be for 2020. Nobody. Some of us may not be on this earth by the end of the year. And we all need to be sobered by that. We cannot know the future. So how, here's the question that I believe the Bible poses to you and me this morning. How can you and I live confidently in circumstances as they unfold? The Bible says you've got to know a larger context. You've got to know the larger context. And do you know where the larger context is? It's in the Bible. Put up verse 15 and let's keep it for a while, Angie. Here's the larger context. Watch this. This is very important for you to understand this because if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand the rest of the sermon, okay? Look at what he says. So the king did not listen to the people. Why? For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord. This is critical to see. The immediate circumstances were unfolding, and yet God was behind those circumstances working out something larger. See how it says? This turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word of the Lord. In fact, if you go back to chapter 11, verse 31, what you see there is the Lord actually tells Jeroboam, I'm going to tear this kingdom apart, and I'm going to give you much of this kingdom to rule yourself. And so what the Lord tells Jeroboam was, in fact, God is working behind the scenes in a very difficult circumstance. 
And that's critical to understand. You've got to know the larger context if you'll ever be able to live confidently in your immediate circumstances. Now look at Rehoboam. Again, he didn't take the advice of the elders. He was trying to hold on to something that wasn't his in the first place, and that was the throne. God had given it to him. And then not only did he not listen to the elders, he listened to yes people. But do you know what else he did? He failed to listen. He was unwilling ultimately to listen to God. And if you and I are not willing to listen to God, we'll never grasp the larger context. Now let let me tell you why this is important. For a lot of us, we think we have a handle on our circumstances. And what has to happen is something has to happen where we know we're not in control before we begin to look out beyond things that we can control to look for help. The Bible says that God is working behind your circumstances in mind to accomplish something larger. And I want to tell you this. If you don't understand this larger context or in words we've been using, the larger story. If you don't understand the larger context, you're going to lose heart in your circumstances. You really will lose heart. So let's talk about the context for a few minutes. As I said in verse 15, this turn of events was from the Lord. Now turn of events there literally means in the Hebrew, it means, and this is from a man named Ralph Davis who wrote a great commentary on 1 Kings. Here's his translation of turn of events. It's the subtlety of God by which he works out his sovereign plan. It's the subtlety of God by which he works out his sovereign plan. Let me put it another way. God is in sovereign control at all times and is working out his purposes in that larger context. He works behind the scenes in all sorts of circumstances to bring about his sovereign purposes. For those of you who have been in the Presbyterian church for a long time, let me put it to you like this. You'll recognize this. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all of their actions. God's behind it all. Now listen to what Ralph Davis says about Rehoboam acting freely. The Lord's sovereignty over this situation did not violate Rehoboam's free decision. Rather, it came through that freedom. This is critical. Listen to me. God is working through your immediate circumstances to accomplish His larger story. He's working through your immediate circumstances to do something larger. That's the context of our days. And if you begin to really understand that context, you'll be able to live so much more confidently. Now let me give you an example. Follow me here because this is the most important thing that I'll be saying this morning, although I think it's all important. Listen to this. The, The most important turn of events that's happened in all of history 
was, was shared by a man named Peter when he said this. Listen to this. Fellow Israelites, listen. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked people, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now what happened here? In the most unjust and violent murders in history, God was behind the scenes working. When humanity put Jesus on the cross, Jesus accomplished the salvation of all those who would believe in him. Now let me take it deeper. Follow me here. Let me take it deeper. Jesus went through those circumstances. He suffered an excruciating death. All of his life, he lived in deprivation. Right before he died, he was completely abandoned. That was his circumstances. And yet he knew the larger context. He knew that God had a plan to save a people for himself. And because he knew the larger context, he could say with confidence, not my will, but your will be done. And because he said that, you and I sit here. And while the cross was absolute agony, Jesus' face was set to go through those circumstances for us with confidence because he knew the larger context, the larger promises of God. He knew the larger story. And he wanted you and I to be a part of it. Now, let me say this. Notice that God raised him from the dead. Jesus on the cross satisfied fully the wrath of God against the sins of any human being who would trust him. And consequently, when he was put in the, the grave, the grave could not hold him. He was perfectly obedient to his father. He accomplished all his father wanted him to accomplish. And when he paid for sins, he said, it's finished. And ultimately, God raised him from the dead. And this is critical for you not to understand. Every one of us in this room is going to die. We know that. The older we get, the more 
of, the, uh, the, of its reality comes. But listen carefully to me, and this is key. Death will be one of two things. Death will be separation from or intimacy with God. Death will be separation from or intimacy with God. And it all turns on where you stand with Jesus. That's the larger context that's common to us all in this room and common to us all on this planet. When you come to Christ and begin to understand this larger context, it is amazing how you can begin to live with confidence in your immediate circumstances. Let me give you a few examples. In world events, I woke up last week when Soleimani was killed by those drones. And my first thought is, oh my, oh my, oh my God, we're going to go to war. I've never been to war, but I hate war. And I've talked to people who've been in war, and war is glorious until you have to fight it. And then it's bad news, even if you're victorious. And yet, listen carefully. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus the king to make a proclamation. What is he saying? He's simply saying this. That God's in control, even of world rulers, men and women. God's in control of the 2020 election. God is in control in November. He's in control in Iowa. He's in control of what's happening in Washington right now. And the people of God have a larger context to live with confidence. Because our king does not reign in Washington. He reigns over all creation. Another example, in circumstances beyond our control. How many of us this year will get a diagnosis that we are shocked by? Some of you have gone through that or gone through it with people very close to you. And you quickly realize that circumstances are beyond your control. I want you to hear me clearly. Larger context, circumstances are never beyond Jesus' control, ever. Let me tell you a little story. Jesus on a boat. You don't want to, if you don't know Jesus, don't go around Jesus when he's on boats. Things always happen. So he's on a boat in a storm with his 12 disciples, and he's sound asleep in the back. And his 12 disciples, many of them accomplished fishermen, certainly knowing about the water, as the storm gets rougher, they get more afraid because they realize they're not in control. And in fi finally, in desperation, what they do is one of them runs back and says, Jesus, Jesus. They don't say calm the storm. They say, don't you love us? We're going to drown. Well, of course, Jesus gets up, says, you have little faith, and he goes and calms the storm. Where's the safest place to be? Sleeping in the back of the boat with Jesus.
Here's another one. When we really blow it. You know, one of the things I've always wanted for West End, and think about this, is that you and I could be in a church where we blow it and aren't the black sheep. I call it the land of misfit toys, if you remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I want us to be a church of the land of the misfit toys. Remember the little old jack-in-the-box that popped up? Something was wrong with him. Something's wrong with me, and I know something's wrong with y'all too. We're all going to blow it. What's the larger context? You cannot trash your life so badly that God can't redeem it. You know, one of Jesus' closest friends was a man named Peter. Right at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus knew that Peter was going to blow it. And here's what Jesus said. He said, I prayed for you, Simon. See, Peter means rock. And Jesus knew that Peter wasn't going to be a rock at that point. So he called him by his old name. I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus restored him. Peter trashed his life. And Peter restored him. And then here's the last example. When we suffer. Because men and women, some of you are in the valleys now and you're suffering. Some of us will go through suffering in this year and certainly before our lives end, we will go through suffering. And here's the larger context. Listen to me. God will not waste anything that he allows in your life. He will not waste anything. Look at Romans 8.28. Let's put that up, Angie. Do we have that? All things God works for the good of those who love him. He will bring ultimate good from every immediate circumstance he allows. And when you cross your finish line and the Lord Jesus puts his arm around you, he will explain your life to you. And all that he took you through. And at that point, all those things will make sense. And you will see why he allowed things. And you will be confident that that was the right thing to do. Now, let me end it by saying this. When you have that sort of confidence in your circumstances because you understand the context, we don't have to ask why. We can say, Lord, what are you up to? Because he's up to something. We can say, Lord, what are you after in me? Because we know he's after our good. We know that every circumstance has a larger context. 
Jesus has got it. And we can live with confidence.